Praise God. I gave a message last Wednesday, if you weren't here for that or you didn't hear it online, called uh, Sanctification 101. I would encourage you to check that out if you haven't heard that message. Uh, Certain people, I mean, it was a blessing to people because they got to learn what the Word of God says about a major component of our salvation, which is sanctification. So the name of this message, which is kind of a trip, because (laughs) uh, Chad didn't know what I was preaching on, you know. Uh, Gerald, our worship, when he led worship, you know, our worship leader didn't know what I was preaching on. Yet everything they said was like, wow, these guys see my notes, you know. Because the name of my message is called Fearing, Loving, and Trusting God. All three things that are very important. Amen. I've done a lot of messages on all of those things. But I want to do a message on those three things together. So we could focus on not one of the huge trees in the forest, but the forest, if you will, of our Christian call as to our response to God. And uh, Chad was talking about the fear of the Lord. Uh, Gerald did a bunch of songs. I don't know if you noticed the theme, but I I couldn't help but notice the theme as I'm scribbling through my notes, you know, because I always have to look at my notes right before I go up, or otherwise it's just a bunch of just words, you know. And that way I don't have to look at my notes when I preach so much because it's already in my heart, but it's all typed, so I, I, I circle them and everything on my way here before I get here sometimes to a degree, but also I go through them a bit before I preach, and, but I was worshiping, and then I got in that corner and was worshiping. I'm like, man, the, the, the themes, you know, because uh, one, one of the things we're talking about is loving God more, right? And he's singing, I want to love you, Lord, uh, more, much more than I do. That old song, man. I want to love you, Lord, much more than I do. And we're supposed to grow in our love. Like the church of Thessalonica, they loved the Lord, but it says they were to abound in the love of the Lord more and more. And he sang, uh, the, then we sang the song, more love. <laughs> more love, you know, more power, more of you in my life. We draw near to him, he draws near to us, you know. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And, and then we sang, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. And thou shalt what? Love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, all his soul, mind, strength. Wow. I'm like, man, did he do that on purpose? Did he see my notes, you know? And, uh, and he couldn't have because <laughs> I was working on this message separately from the message I was working on fasting. I decided to preach this one. So, uh, so it's just interesting. The Lord's prepared our hearts. And I'm glad, Chad, I won't have to cover much of uh, what he mentioned on Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Also says the beginning of wisdom later. Fear of the Lord is very, very critical for the Christian. Unfortunately, most Christians today that profess to be Christians don't fear God. And most preachers will never preach a message on the fear of God. It's rare that you'll go down, even if you listen to Christian radio, that you hear a whole entire message on the fear of God. Uh, And the fear of God is essential for your walk with God. It's absolutely essential for your walk with God. In fact, uh, at the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, ends his 12 chapters with these words. Now all these, uh, uh, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. He concludes. Here's the conclusion of the matter, guys. Fear God. There it is. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Man, he sums up in the Old Testament wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes, by saying the conclusion is this. Fear God, right? And keep his commandments. And that's important that we get that because uh, now the question is how some people, they don't preach on the fear of God often because it's so easy to misunderstand. People are like, I'm supposed to fear God? You know, why should I fear God? I should be afraid of God and so forth. 
And, uh, well, yeah, you should. You should fear God. And, uh, but for the wrong reasons, because it's a lot of times when we see the word hate, we misunderstand the word hate when it comes to God. Because the Bible says over and over again, God hates evil. Amen? And even verses that talk about how God hates evildoers. Right? And even all humanity, before people are saved, it says the wrath of God. You know? It says the mercy of God is over all his works, so he's a merciful God. But because he's perfectly righteous and perfectly holy, it says he's angry with the wicked all day long. That's all the wicked. Anybody before we got saved, he was angry with us. But even his own people. In Hosea, he talks about how he's loved them with an everlasting love. In Jeremiah, he states that. In Hosea, he says, I've come to hate you. What in the world's going on there? Well, we see the word hate, and we think of some kind of e evil that's attached to hate. Because when we see hatred in the world, there's usually evil involved. But God is perfectly holy, perfectly pure, perfectly just. The Bible says God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Amen? It says, don't say, let anyone say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God because God cannot be tempted by evil and God himself does not tempt anyone, but everyone is tempted when they're drawn away by their own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin brings forth death and don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. So the, the, the scriptures protect and reveal the nature of God, show you that he's perfectly pure. So his hatred is, one, is because of his purity, because of his goodness, because of his holiness, that which is evil and an affront to who he is and what's right and is evil toward others or toward God, usually it's both, right? Becomes contrary to his love, his moral law, his righteousness, his goodness, his holiness. And therefore, because he is perfectly pure, that's why he hates evil. And because he's perfectly good, that's why you ought to fear him. How does that make sense? Because God is perfectly good, he does not tolerate evil. And because we are his creatures and everything will be brought into judgment and where we'll stand before God, we need to recognize that the Bible says that God, our God, is a consuming fire. 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 16, God is love. Amen? And we preach that all the time. But I can show you a, a number of verses, more than just those two, 1 John 4, 8 and 4, 16, that say God is a consuming fire. The Bible says consider the goodness and the severity of God. The Bible says there's one lawgiver that's able to save and to destroy. He's an awesome God. But he's, the reason we fear him is not because he's bad, but because we're bad. And he's perfectly good. Amen? And even when you're perfectly righteous, you still, we still, we'll still fear him because he's perfectly good. He's all-powerful. And so it's very, very important to understand this subject because you really can't walk with God the way you're called to walk with God or even really have a walk with God if you don't fear him at all. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to go that far. You really can't have a, a walk with God, biblically speaking, because the fear of the Lord is beginning to what? Wisdom. It's beginning to knowledge. But we fear him because of his goodness. Not because we think God's mood might change because the scriptures go on to say in James that there's no variation or shadow of turning within him. Or there's no variation or shifting shadow. It's because God is light and there's no darkness. So there's not a, a, an inkling of a shadow in him of darkness. I love that about him. So that means he's faithful and we can trust him. But because he's perfectly good, we have to be concerned, absolutely concerned, that we're not in rebellion to him because he's perfectly good. And he will deal with rebellion. 
So I could go down the highway, and when I'm coming down the 118, and I'm driving back, and, and my wife's like, oh, be careful, because you pick up speed coming down from Rocky Peak. And she goes, oh, be careful, that cop's always hiding over there, you know, picks you off and then takes you up to Tapo Canyon or whatever. And I look at my speedometer, and I'm like, be careful, hit the brakes, you know, don't just go with traffic either, because traffic just tends to, see me freeway moves, man. And they just take their pick, you know. And, uh, but if I see a police officer, I don't fear a police officer because he's a bad cop. I've always had a healthy reverence for, so to speak, a healthy fear of police officers. Well, before I was a Christian, I feared them for the wrong reasons, you know. Do they know about my pot plants, you know, or whatever, you know. And uh, I mean, those are true fears I had back in the day, you know. But you know what? Now that I'm a believer, I have a healthy fear because I know if there's a, a, a highway patrolman and I'm passing him up, you know, uh, it doesn't mean they're bad. It's because, in fact, the scriptures say that, for, that God gives us officials, right, governing authorities and so forth for our good, even though they become wicked. And when they become wicked, like Hitler or Mao or whatever, God, Stalin, you know, you know their regimes will eventually end, you know. But it's interesting, we, they're, they're, they're actually for our good. So in most police officers, 98 or 9% of them are, are, seek to be good cops, you know. So when I see one on the highway, I don't fear him because he just might pull out his billy club, you know. No, because guess what? I need it because there's consequences to me doing wrong, and I need to recognize that. Now, I can be abiding by the law going around 65, right? Depends. I've talked, one of my police officer friends says, if somebody goes 72, we're good. If somebody goes 73, I pull them over. He's a Santa Barbara Highway Patrol man. I don't think he's there anymore, so I can say that. And another police officer just said to me recently, he says, if you're over the speed limit, by eight, you're great. But if nine, you're mine. Not like, interesting. <laughs> so he gives a little more latitude, you know. Don't quote me to a police officer later. We get pulled over for going one or two miles an hour, which my wife did one time. She didn't quote me. I mean, she got pulled over for going just one or two and got a ticket. So be careful. Anyway, I was like, wow, you know. So I see a police officer. I have a healthy respect for him. But as a man, it's not a fear like the fear of the Lord. I fear the Lord on a totally different level. Not because he's bad, but because he's good. And the Bible warns in the New Testament that if you commit apostasy, you will be under the wrath of God. That's heavy. It's really heavy when you think about it. And, it, and we're told to fear him in that respect. I'll prove that to you from the scripture. And these warnings, even those who teach the fear of God, even those who say, yeah, we believe in the fear of God and we talk about the fear of God here, they'll ignore the context of New Testament passages which warn true, genuine believers to fear him and, and be concerned about apostasy lest they fall away and his wrath comes upon them. And those are, there's several scriptures in the New Testament that speak in that way. And that's ignored by most of the body of Christ. In fact, most people, most Christians are unaware. That a lot of Christians will say that Jesus spoke about hell more than he spoke about heaven. And he referenced hell more than he referenced heaven when he taught his disciples. That's true. But one thing they don't know, most Christians don't know, is that almost every time that Jesus talked about hell and gave warnings about hell, he gave the warnings to elect, the, his, the believers. Isn't that crazy? I think about that. He warned his own followers about hell, and he warned them about falling away. 
This is important stuff to understand. But we fear him because he's good. Hosea 3.5 says, And they shall come in the fear of the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Jeremiah 33.9, They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I will provide for it. Wow. So we see God's goodness. It should break your heart. Like, wow, I can't believe he's so good to me. Such a good God, even though I deserve wrath. But by seeing how awesome and powerful and beautiful, even as seeing his provisions and his goodness, you should fear him. I think that's fascinating. Now, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27 says, Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It's healthy, man. How, I mean, think about the heat right now. It's going to be like 90, 91, 95 today. I saw two different predictions. But uh, in that arid area of the promised land, what had become so dry in times and hot, what a, in Proverbs 14, 27, it says, The fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. Wow. Proverbs 8.13 says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So what is the fear of the Lord? It's to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way. goes on to say, and the, uh, and, <laughs> the perverted mouth I hate. Proverbs 16.6 says, by loving devotion and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Praise God. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns aside from evil. Can anyone think of an illustration in the Bible, a person who feared God and turned away from evil? Who is that? That's more than just one person. Somebody said it. Who said it? Job, that's right. Amen. Job 1.1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Verse 1, the very first verse of the book. And this man was blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil or turning away from evil. So you can know if you truly fear the Lord or not. If you are just all involved in evil and you're a liar and you're unrepentant, you're just doing your own thing and rejecting God, you don't fear the Lord then, man. And you're in huge trouble with God, man. And you got to get right, man. God, help whoever that is, anyone listening right now, to fear you now. Because guess what? One day, every knee would bow, it says, and every tongue will confess that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. You're wise if you fear God. In fact, you know the devil fears God? Some people in the world, they're afraid of the devil, you know. I heard Joe Rogan saying that when, you know, he does drugs or whatever, he's, I, if I see, I like to see the devil because it causes me a fear. It's so it makes me afraid. I like that. I'm like, dude, wait till you see God, you know. But hopefully you'll turn to him before it's too late because the devil fears God. In fact, remember when Jesus went to the Gadarenes over the Sea of Galilee and that man was cutting himself and he was bound in chains. He kept breaking the chains. He was possessed by demon spirits. And they identified themselves as legion. And the Bible itself says that there were many, because there were many demons in this guy. And when Jesus appeared, guess what they did, man? They confessed him as the Son of God. They were tripping out. Thou was Son of God. Are you here to torment us before our time? Everyone was fearing that man, possessed by legion of demons, you know? And the, and the world, man, they're watching the wrong kind of horror movies. They're watching horror movies about demons and devils, and oh no, they should be watching horror movies about God and the judgment they're going to face forever, man, because that's going to be the real horror, man. Yeah, if you don't have Jesus, you should, yeah, you're, you know, no wonder, yeah, you should be a fear, fearful of demons, but when you have Jesus, man, it's like the little kid, he got beat up at school, and he was sad, he went to his parents and told his parents at the table and his little brother, his big brother about what happened and everything, and he was fearful the next day he came, and all of a sudden, 
That big bully came up again with his friends. The little guy's looking at him. He's scared. All of a sudden, that guy just became, the bully became incredibly fearful. And the friends became fearful, and they bolted. He's like, wow, I must look pretty tough. And he turned around, and his big brother was standing there, you know. <laughs> We're not tough in the spiritual world. We've got Jesus, amen? And he's, he's the one, man, that we trust in, amen? When the devil knocks on the door, ask Jesus to answer it, amen? Because I'll tell you what, I mean, even in, in chapter 2 of James, it talks about what real faith is, and that true faith has works, amen? There's fruit, there's evidence of it, amen? And it says, faith without works is dead, just like the body without the spirit is dead. But it says, even the demons believe, and you remember what it says? And they tremble. They believe in God. They believe there's one God, and they're trembling. Satan and the demons are so freaked out over God because they're rebels against his kingdom. So, you guys, don't fear the devil. Fear God, amen? Now, if you're in rebellion to God, then you got him against you, and he hands you over to the devil for the destruction of your flesh or for discipline. Then you got two, okay? <laughs> and then the whole demonic kingdom, but God wants to bring you back. That's the goal of church discipline. So it's really interesting when you think about this because the Bible says that God's judgments come into the earth so that the nations will learn righteousness. Remember what happened with Pharaoh? What's going to happen during the tribulation period? The seven seals will be opened. The, the, the seven trumpets will blow. The seven bowls will be poured out of wrath upon the wicked. Of Pharaoh, it says in chapter 9, verse 30, that Pharaoh and his associates did not fear God. He brought judgments upon them. And that's even after a series of a lot of these judgments. It's not until he was broken after the death of his, after the death of his firstborn. Amen. And then he lost the fear of God after that and went after them, right? Sent his armies after them and they got destroyed. If you don't fear the Lord, you end up getting destroyed in the end. So it's very, very important that we know how important it is to fear God. Psalm 11, 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding, have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Proverbs 34, 7 says, or Psalm 34, 7 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. It is? Yeah. His eye is on you. If you fear the Lord... It says, I, Lord, is on him, on those who hope for his, right, his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death. Isn't that a beautiful verse? If you fear the Lord, his eyes on you, man. And he's going to deliver you from the snare of death. Amen? So what's important, though, is a lot of people say, well, yeah, the fear of the Lord, they minimize it in two ways. This is why it's not preached. Two of the ways they minimize it. Oh, well, that's an Old Testament doctrine. Because, you know, Jesus is God now. Well, Jesus has always been God. Well, yeah, but uh, now God's given us grace through Jesus. Yeah, that's true. But Hebrews chapter 13, which talks a lot about fearing God, says in verse 8 that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He's still to be feared. So they'll say two things. Well, that's more for the Old Testament. It's not really in the New Testament. That's a lie. And they'll say, well, fear, that just means to have some reverence, to just respect God. It doesn't mean to actually be, you know, to fear God. Well, that's interesting. Why do you think even modern translations still translate, you know, phobias or the word we get phobia from, which is throughout the New Testament, fear instead of revere? Every once in a while they'll translate it revere, but they recognize, translators recognize it means best translation is fear. We're supposed to fear God. In the New Testament times, since Christ died, as well as the Old Testament. In fact, it's interesting 
Philippians 2.12 in the New Testament says, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Fear and what? Trembling. Makes no sense. I don't see any translation that says, work out your own salvation with a sense of respect and trembling. What does that have to do? No, we're talking about more than respect here. You don't tremble at somebody you just respect but don't fear. Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Okay? Now, by the way, the fear of the Lord doesn't, it's, it's, it's not like the fear of the Lord's gone now. Listen to what it says in Psalm 19.9. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring, it's pure, enduring forever and ever. So how long does the fear of the Lord last, guys? Forever and ever. The judgments of the Lord are true and justified altogether. Even in Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, when you have these three different angels flying in the midheavens, one warning not to take the mark of the beast, another saying Babylon has fallen, but another one preaching the everlasting gospel. You know what the first words out of the mouth of the angel that's preaching the everlasting gospel are? And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come, worship the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. We should fear him because he's the creator, amen, and because he's also the judge, amen. So, and you know what? Ananias and Sapphira didn't fear God. They said they're giving so much money to bless, you know. They sold their property, and they said they're giving all the money to the church. And by the way, some people say, oh, they didn't give it all to the church, and because, because they held some money back, God doesn't like it when you hold money back. And I'm not saying you want to be a good steward before God, but the judgment didn't, become, the judgment didn't come upon them because they, they were, uh, you know, the judgment came upon them because they lied. Okay? And listen to what it says in Acts 15, 11. What was the response? Because guess what? Ananias was put, boom, killed. He didn't fear God. Just lying, you know, Sapphire, boom, put to death, boom. Then guess what happened in the church? Because they didn't fear the Lord, but guess what? The people that saw this happen had to go bury them. Chapter 5, verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church. I would think so. And upon as many as heard these things. The fear of the Lord, man. This is in the New Testament church. In fact, we're warned that, you know, Pharaoh, yeah, he had a hardened heart. He didn't fear God. And the scriptures tell us not to harden our hearts. Amen. In fact, go to Hebrews chapter, in the New Testament, go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, guys. Because we want to go to a few verses in Hebrews, so you want to go there if you can. Hebrews chapter 3. You go ahead and look at verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, right? Whose house we are. Where's his house? If we what? Hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not what? Harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness. So God brought judgments upon Egypt. And the more judgments he brought on Egypt, the more he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, scriptures talk about fear hardening his heart, but it talks about God hardening his heart too. But God hardened his heart because he responded to Pharaoh's wickedness with his judgments. And Pharaoh responded to those judgments. He could have repented. If he was like Moses, he would have repented right away, I tell people. Moses was a humblest guy on earth, right? Whatever you say, Lord, right? Pharaoh was the opposite, man. He was a self-centered narcissist who didn't fear God, worshiped false gods, 
claimed himself to be God, right? Yet here the one true God shows up. And he says throughout the Exodus that he brings his judgments to them so that they would know that he's the one true God. And by the way, when they actually made the Exodus out of Egypt, guess what? A bunch of Egyptians went with him. They came to realize he's the true God. So it's ultimately about bringing people to salvation and then God showing forth his power for those who wouldn't that he is God and they are not. Amen? So we're warned not to harden our hearts. Okay? That's a warning to believers. The lost already have hardened hearts. Amen? That's how they're described in Philippians 4. Children of wrath. Philippians 2. I'm sorry, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 4. They're called children of wrath. But look what the Lord warns the, the brethren. He addresses the believers, by the way, He's definitely warning believers here because look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore who? Holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. Right? Look at verse 12 now. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of, any of you an evil and unbelieving heart that what? Falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, so long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be what? Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, what? If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. So guys, we have to make sure we don't allow our hearts to get hardened. You know? You want to guard your hearts, it says in Proverbs chapter 4, because out of it come the springs of life, amen? We want to put on that breastplate of righteousness, amen? Righteousness, trusting in Christ's righteousness and what he did for us, amen? And then allowing him by his power and Holy Spirit empowerment to make us righteous, because that heart's very vulnerable. You know Steve Irwin? Remember Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter? That dude was so fearless and nothing could kill him. I mean, it was like fighting crocodiles, it looked like, and alligators and all kinds of crazy animals. But the thing is, the crazy thing is, he was underwater swimming in a stingray of some sort. He got too close to it and just electrified his heart. He died. He guarded himself, but his heart wasn't guarded there. Now, we're talking about spiritual hearts right now, not physical hearts, but that's a powerful picture. Amen? You have to guard your heart and make sure you don't become cold. And if you start to become cold, you need to hit your knees and say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Forgive me my sins and soften my heart. You know, by the oil of your Holy Spirit, amen? And by the wine of your love, creating me a new heart like David prayed. Renew a right spirit within me. Because in Romans 1.24, Romans 1.26, Romans 1.28. God could give you over to a depraved mind. He could give you over to a hard heart. But man, you fear him, man. Right? Listen to what it says in, Proverbs, in uh, Psalm 103, verse 11 through 13 and 17. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. Wow, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his loving kindness. That's a, that's a lot of loving kindness, amen, to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Wow. Verse 17. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Wow. Now I mentioned that there's warnings in the New Testament, which I've already read some of them, about fearing God. But I've also encouraged you to understand they're in, the current, they're in the context of departing from your Savior. They're in the context of warnings of not falling away from the Lord and forfeiture of salvation. In fact, uh, some people think, oh, well, once you're saved, you know, you can never be subject again to the wrath of God no matter what you do. 
you'll just lose rewards or, or somehow you lose your free will and you'll never turn from him and you'll never, there's no such thing as prodigal sons now or, or you'll come back inevitably because somehow God's going to make sure that happens. And, and, but what's crazy about this is the Bible is very, very clear that you can become lukewarm. And it's very, very clear in Ephesians chapter 5, it says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God, that's sexual perversion, all kinds of things he mentions there, a, a, a viceless. He says, let no one deceive you with vain words. He says, for, uh, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, the wrath of God, therefore do not be partakers with them. Partakers of, with who? Of the sons of disobedience who partake of the wrath of God. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Who's he talking to, non-believers or just professing Christians? No. Thus saith the context of God's word. You were formerly darkness, but now you're light of the Lord. He's warning those who were formerly in darkness but are now in light that they could become partakers of the wrath of God with the wicked and not to be deceived and let no one deceive you with vain words because there's vain words that preachers use today to deceive people into thinking that they could not be subject again to the wrath of God. And that's a huge deception in the church today. That's why you don't hear a lot of messages on the fear of God. That's why you don't hear a lot of messages warning believers about hell, that they need to make sure they're right with God and that's why the church is living like it is and it's so anemic and so pathetic and so, you know, backslidden here in where this easy believism is taught in the church today. In fact, now let me show you four or five instances where the fear of God is mentioned in the context of us continuing in the faith in the New Testament. So you understand the New Testament context. And that's what I think. I don't think I've ever seen even a commentary talk about these verses that I'm bringing to you and showing the context of fearing God with regard to salvation. I've taught it over and over again because it stares me in the face. I'm like, Lord, because it doesn't fit in popular theology today. But we're more interested in what God's word says than what's popular, amen? So look at Matthew chapter 10. Jesus' own words, talking to his apostles, amen? And then if you look at Matthew chapter 10, go to verse 22, and you see a strong warning there. He says in verse 22, you'll be hated, all, you'll be hated by all because of what? Because of my name. But it is the one who what? Has endured to the end who will be what? Saved. Sometimes when you quote this from Matthew 24, verse 13, some will say, oh, that only has to do with the tribulation period, enduring the, and the tribulation period. It's not talking about enduring in your faith. Really? Matthew chapter 10 isn't talking about the tribulation period. He's telling them to go to Israel first, right? He's talking about enduring in their faith. Only those who endure in the end will be saved. Then in verse 28, look what he says. Do not fear those who what? kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather what? Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Thus saith the Lord. Jesus warns his elect believers that they need to fear God. They need dirty end to be saved. They need to fear God, lest they be cast into hell. Amen? In fact, look at verse 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I also will confess him before my, my Father, who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will what? Also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. These are sombering and sobering words because he knows that these disciples of his are going out to the highways and byways. He knows they're going to go to Israel. Then he knows they're going to go throughout all the earth. He knows they're going to be martyred, many of them, right? Be persecuted and be tempted to fear man more than God. But you know what's a trip? If you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs or you read Martyr's Mirror, which I have both of those, and they're both great, you see a lot of what got them through the persecutions is they quote the verses about not denying the Father. 
about better fear God more than man. Those verses God used to, to preserve them through these hard times. Of course, there are those who, always who give in too. Even in the first century New Testament books, we see some of people commit apostasy. But you guys, the warnings are very, very important because the warnings help you inherit the promises. Amen? Everybody likes to quote the promises, but if you quote the promises, but you don't quote the warnings, you don't know the warnings, you won't inherit the promises. He gives the warnings so we stay on the straight and narrow so we can inherit the promises. Amen? So that's why they go together. And I want to make sure you inherit the promises. That's why I preach the way I preach. Amen? And it makes for strong converts. That's why we have a lot of strong believers that are associated with our ministry right here in the fellowship that love Jesus because we get the pure word of God. Okay, go now to Romans 11. So would you agree that that's a warning to his own apostles, that they're to fear him, lest they be thrown body and soul into hell? Yes or no? Absolutely. You have to deny the scripture. You have to deny Jesus' words to say the opposite. Look at Romans 11. Paul, the apostle of grace. Look at what he states. He's warning about, you know, he's trying to get the Jews to understand, the Jewish believers at the, in Romans, that God had a plan to incorporate Gentile believers into the olive tree, into the plan of salvation, into salvation, into Christ himself. But he didn't want the Gentiles to get high-minded and say, yeah, that's right, it's about us too. And eventually do what the Jews did when they thought it's just about us. Remember the promise to uh, Genesis in Genesis chapter 12 and after that 17, 19, elsewhere, or I should say 17, but mostly 12 at first, where God calls Abraham? It's not just to get the Jews, but it's that he would be his, through his seed all the what nations would be blessed. Amen? That was God's plan. And the Jews were supposed to be a light in Isaiah to the Gentiles. Amen? But they got their eyes off of the Lord and his will for them. And they were the chosen people, and they despised the Gentiles. And they weren't being a light to the Gentiles. Well, now, guess what happens? The Gentiles could also get that chosen person complex. Oh, I'm in no matter what. I'm one of the special elect ones, you know? And... Uh, and the Jews, God's done with the Jews, and we've replaced the Jews. It's called replacement theology. And there are a lot of theologians, a lot of people that believe God's all done with Israel. Israel becoming a nation again? Well, that's weird that that happened. God's done with them. That must be some kind of accident in history. And they were the new Israel of God. Were the chosen people, and they forget Israel. And a lot of them side with the Palestinians, so-called. And guess what, guys? Paul warns about this chosen person complex that Gentiles can get against the Jews and where we become haughty and we no longer fear God in regard to our salvation. Look what he says in verse 20. Because he talks about, you will say in verses before that, that the, 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 you know, certain branches, the Jewish branches, were broken off because of their unbelief. He says, verse 20, quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. That's true, he's saying. But you stand by your what? Your faith. Is he talking to believers or unbelievers here? Do non-believers stand by their faith? No. Do professing believers that aren't really saved stand by faith in Christ? No. no. This is to genuine believers, just like Matthew 10. Do not be conceited, but what? Fear. Don't be conceited, but what? Fear. Fear. Fear in what context? Look at verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will what? Not you spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell Severity, but to you, God's kindness. Is there a period after kindness? No. There's not a period in the Greek either. There's no periods in the Greek, but he says, if you what? To those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be what? 
cut off. So Jesus said we're supposed to fear, lest we be thrown in the fire. Paul, the apostle of grace, amen, who said, by grace we're saved through faith, out of ourselves the gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast, amen. The great apostle of grace who said, we're not saved by works of righteousness that we've done, right? But by his grace he renewed us by his spirit, amen. All those wonderful grace passages, but he tells us that there is a condition, and that condition is faith. You can't say, oh, well, it's an unconditional gift he's given you. Yeah, read Romans 11, 20 through 22, and don't try to twist it or explain it away because you want to prop up your theology idolatrously above God's word. Bow and submit to his word. It's very, very clear. I don't know how he could have made it any clearer that you could be cut off. And, and what attitude does he say to have? Don't be conceited because there's a lot of people walking around. They're pompous about their salvation. They're careless about their salvation. They don't fear God in regard to salvation. They think they can do whatever they are because they've been chosen. And I'm one of the chosen people now. God's done with Israel. Look at me. Ooh, man, you're chosen by God's grace through faith. And God is not partial. And if he didn't spare the natural branches, the Jews, the natural branches, and you were grafted in as an unnatural branch, how much more will he not spare you if you don't continue the faith? Don't be high-minded, as, one, as King James says, or conceited here, but fear. And right now the church is conceited. They think we're in no matter what. And they're living like it, and the world's seen it, and this, the church stinks to high heaven this professing church in many, many ways because it's filled with hypocrisy. Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. And yeah, that's true. We're not perfect, although he is perfecting us. But we're not just forgiven. We're more than forgiven. Amen? The true church is being sanctified. Amen? By his grace, set apart from that which is evil. So there's two places where I've shown you very clearly that we're called to fear God in respect to our standing with him in salvation. And it's clear as you can get. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews 3, remember we read through Hebrews 3 and the author Hebrew was talking about how we're to make sure that our hearts are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, right? So we don't fall away from the living God. Yes, holy brethren can fall away from the living God. Well, that's so true. But look what he goes on to warn them. He goes on to warn them about not entering into God's eternal rest, his eschatological kingdom. And he says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, let us what? Let us what? Fear. Fear. While the promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to what? Have come short of it. Ooh, that's a, there it is again. Number three. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. For if we go on sinning willfully, I, I quote this a lot, but I have it memorized in the King James Version, but I'm reading it to you now with you because it's such a powerful text. For if we... If we, who's we? Is it non-believers or believers? Believers. believers. For if we go on sinning, even the, the author of Hebrews himself, who's certainly a believer, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains what? A sacrifice for sins. Now he's not saying, hey, if you've slipped up, if you've fallen, or if you backslid and you came back to Christ. He's talking about those who are rejecting Christ and what he did for them on the cross and Going forward in life of rebellion against Christ. After receiving the knowledge of the truth. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. You know what the knowledge of the truth is? Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.4, God wills that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It's salvific language. Okay? 
Uh, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, showing that the sacrifice of the atonement of Christ avails for all who have trust in him. And even these apostates that left him, the sacrifice was there for them because Christ's blood is sufficient for everyone who believes. Verse 27. But a terrifying, what, what's going to happen with the apostate? But a what? A terrifying, the King James says a fearful, many translations have fearful, a terrifying or fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire that will consume the what? Adversaries, God's enemies. Wow. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Isn't that heavy? How many have gone through the Old Testament? Man, you disobey the law of Moses, man. Break the Sabbath. You stone to death. Two or three witnesses. Saul, you need two witnesses at the, at the very least. Or three witnesses, you get stoned to death. That was horrible. But if that's what happened to the natural branches... But guess what happens? Look at what he goes on to say. How much worse or severe punishment do you think he will receive or deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was never sanctified in the first place? Is that what it says? No, by which he was sanctified, which is the passive voice, by the way. It's an act of God by which he was sanctified, not him just going to church, as Owen said. He has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, past tense. And he has what? Insulted the spirit of grace. Wow. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Not talking about non-believers here. Talking about apostates who were believers in the past. Look at verse 13. It is a what? Terrifying or fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The ESV, English Standard Version, has it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's number five. Number one was Matthew 10. Number two was Romans 11. Number three was Hebrews 4. Number five, number, I'm sorry, number three was Hebrews 4. Number uh, four was Hebrews 10. And number five is Hebrews 10. Got one at the beginning of the, that passage and one at the end. That's heavy, guys. So if someone says, yeah, we're supposed to fear God, but that's really, that's not us really. That's for the Old Testament. Is that true? If someone says, yeah, we're supposed to fear God, but that doesn't mean we're actually supposed to fear him. Is that true? If someone says, yeah, but we don't need to fear God and be concerned about our salvation if we're in rebellion to him. Because once we're saved, we're always saved no matter what we do. Is that true? No. These are all lies that are hurting the church by the millions. Because when people are taught the fear of God and they learn to love and fear God, man, it affects the way you live. Because the fear of the Lord is to turn away from evil. Amen. But not to fear the Lord is not to turn away from evil. Hence, we have a church that's all over the place today. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. I'm going to read the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Holman Christian Standard, because I think it's a great translation of this verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom and, and ca that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. Okay? Some translations translate it, be thankful. But I've studied that phrase right there and how it's used earlier in Hebrews about, you know, obtaining grace when you enter the throne room and so forth. It makes way more sense, especially in context of, guess what? We have a high priest, man, who's far better than the priest of the Old Testament. We have a new Moses. We have Jesus. And don't turn from him and commit apostasy because the grace and the covenant are far greater. And because if you turn from that, you'll have more judgment. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it, we may serve God acceptably with what? Reverence, Reverence 
and awe, or the King James with reverence and godly fear. Wow. Man, think about that. Reverence and godly fear. And by the way, that comes in the context of just before this. You have God warning that he disciplines us so that we'll be partakers of his holiness, so that we will respond to him and live. For without holiness, he says, no one will see the Lord. And then he gives a warning of Esau, who he sold his birthright. Amen? And he wept bitterly when he, when, he, when he lost his birthright. He realized what it was going to cost him. And he warns us. And he says, he says the heavens and the earth will be shaken. Everything's going to be shaken in God's judgment. This whole cause must be shaken. And only the things of the kingdom will stand. And it's in that context, he says, therefore, in light of all that, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace by it, that by it we may what? Serve God acceptably with reverence or in awe, or as the King James has, with reverence and godly fear. Amen? Are you guys with me today? Are you happy I preach this way or are you upset I preach this way? So happy. Praise the Lord. <laughs> well, it's good. No, praise the Lord. We need to be, we need to rejoice in his truth. This is not popular. And by the way, when you preach this way, usually everybody tries to shove you in a corner somewhere. They don't want to hear it. Because everybody's believing they can live wicked lives and inherit God's kingdom still. But Paul, the apostle of grace, remember 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10? Let no one deceive you, right? Or be not deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, effeminate, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, and so forth, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived, he says. Or in Ephesians 5, I already mentioned that passage to you, where he says, if you live like this, he says, let no one deceive you with vain words. You will not inherit the kingdom of Christ. Or in Galatians chapter 5, he gives a vice list in verses 19 through 21, which over 20 different things he mentions. In case he leaves anything out, he says, I warn you, even as I warned you before, that if you practice these things, he gives this list, and anything like these, or things like these, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to say, be not deceived. Or he says this in verses 7 through 9 of chapter 6. He goes on to say, uh, he says, you know, let us not, he goes, be not deceived. God is not mocked. He that sows the flesh will from the flesh reap destruction, but he that sows the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And we shall reap if we continue. There it is again. It's all over the New Testament. So, I love what uh, in Hebrews 11, uh, it talks about Noah and Somebody can go there for me real quick, anybody, and then when they see Noah, he's up pretty early in, in the chapter. But it talks about how Noah feared. I got a little quiz for you. Just go look at it your, your own because I'm wrapping up now. And what does it say we ought to do in regard to uh, fear? What did Noah do? It says he was moved with holy fear. What's that, bro? It says, by faith, Noah being divinely warned. By faith, okay, that's good. But he was divinely warned, and what did he do? He was moved with holy fear, right? Prepare the ark. For his family, amen? Move with godly fear. And yeah, he prepared the ark for the saving of his household. Hey, guess what? If you fear God, man, if you really fear the Lord, he prepared the ark for the saving of his household because he knew the wrath of God was coming. You need to realize the wrath of God is coming, man. If you have children, man, you need to get them in the ark. Now, praise God, we don't have to build an entire ark, amen? The work's already been done. The finished work of Christ on the cross, amen? Because the wrath of God came upon the ark. The ark was a picture of Jesus. How many ways in the ark? How many doors were there? One, 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus, amen? amen? So guys, and the ark was not just one way in, but it saved you from the wrath of God. The ark's a picture of Christ. He's the only way. And when you come to Christ, and if you're in Christ, you're spared the wrath of God, amen? amen. Because you're in his beloved son, because he paid for your sins on the cross, amen? He, he suffered in your place. All the sins that you committed, all the things that you've done, which are many, mine, yours, all of our sins are horrible. Jesus suffered for them. God became a man and suffered in your place so you could be forgiven, so you could become, come to him, amen, and receive the forgiveness of sins and be in Christ. And since you're in union with Christ, the wrath of God will not fall upon you. If you're in Christ, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Any branch in me, right? That's in me, that abides in me, will bear much fruit. Amen, if you're in Christ. Paul said, if anyone be in Christ, is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, all things have become new. Amen. So if you're in Christ, you're a branch, like a branch in a vine, and you'll bear fruit like grapes for the Lord's glory. But then he warns in verse 6, if a branch does not remain in me, doesn't stay, the Greek word is meno, means stay, remain, abide. If it doesn't stay in me, he'll be cut off. He'll wither and then be cut off and thrown in the fire and be burned. You're only safe from the coming wrath of God if you are in Christ, amen? And we're in Christ through faith in him, through trusting him, amen? Through looking to him for our salvation, not by rebelling against him. And that's very, very important to understand. We've got to let that, John goes on to say in 1 John chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, let that remain in you, same Greek word what Jesus used with meno, abide in me. Let that remain in you, which you heard from the beginning. What's that, the gospel? The word of the seed of truth, the word. Let the word that's sown, right? Jesus, his word, lives in us. Let that remain in you, which you've heard from the beginning. If what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, you also will continue in the Father and Son, and you'll receive the promise, eternal life. I'm writing these things, verse 26 goes on to say, concerning those who are trying to seduce you. The enemy wants to get you off the path. He wants your heart to get hard. He wants you to stop fearing God. He wants you to just make God a Gumby God, whereby you kind of just twist God into the, what you want him to be like. So you end up having a false God because you twist God in a way that you can deal with. And you, you bring God into your life on your own terms. But that's not God. That's a Gumby God. Right. We have to come to God in our own ter- on his terms, amen, not our own terms. Unless you repent, Jesus said, you all likewise perish. We have to get right with him. Amen? So how do we fear God more? How do we grow in our fear God more? Read the word, guys. This is how we see how, who God is, amen? And you see that he's holy, he's to be feared. Read the Old Testament with the New Testament. Oh, you're saying the Old Testament because there's a fear of God in the Old Testament. We just saw it's all over the New too, amen? And I didn't even go through over half the verses in the New. But read the word of God and you'll begin to fear God because you'll see he is holy, man. He is not to be messed with, amen? He will have no gods before him, including any idols you want to set up and worship. And we have a lot of idols today. Well, we don't worship idols today. Some will say, yeah, we do. The Bible warns last days men would be lovers of their own selves. That's self-worship, putting himself before God. The says last days men would love pleasures more than God. People, do you think that's a problem today in America? People loving pleasures more than God in other countries around the world? Yeah. There's all kinds of idolatry. Jesus says you can't serve God and money. You either hate the one and love the other, love one and hate the other, Matthew 6.24. We have to make a choice. So brothers and sisters, I'm encouraging you. 
if you have idols in your life, if you're involved in sexual sin and you're rebelling to God and you're sleeping with a gal that's not your wife, you need to repent of that because adulterers on the list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you're consumed by pornography and you're into pornography and you refuse to repent, I love you. I tell you this because I love you. You have to get right with God. Jesus says that we're to take the kingdom of God by violence. Does? Yeah, if your right hand, he also said, cause you to sin, cut it off. It's better go to heaven maimed than with your whole body into hell. Amen? If your right eye caused you to sin, pluck it out. Better to go to heaven with one eye than go to hell with both of them. This is the warnings Jesus gave his own apostles in the Sermon on the Mount, guys. Okay, Joe, I was with you this whole time until you started talking about my sin. Oh, it's because I love you, man. Now you're getting too specific, Joe. Getting too close to home. Because I love you, brother, sister, whoever you are. Okay? Or if you're a sister and you're involved in gossip or a brother and you're constantly tearing down other people and to exalt yourself and, you know, that's, that's wrong too. The Bible talks about those who are factious are on that list in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, who will not inherit God's kingdom. Don't be dividing your brethren. The Lord hates those. He says he hates those who cause division among the brethren. Proverbs chapter 6. Th these are all serious sins. We need to take this seriously. I loved all this, Joe, until you started applying it. No, we got to apply it. We got to draw a line from these scriptures and say, where am I? How does it practically apply to my life? Read the word of God. And the Lord says, this is the one that I look to. Isaiah, I think, 66. This is the one that I look to, the one who looks to my word and fears me. I, I love that. Who, uh, this is the one I look to, one who fears and trembles at my word. Wow. Read the word. Well, I, don't, I read it, but I don't tremble. Well, maybe that's because you're just looking at John 3.16 and Romans 8.28 only, okay? Don't just look at the promises. Look at the warnings too, amen? Get a healthy fear of God. And we talk about the love of God. We, we fight for the love of God in this pulpit all the time and how he loves all and that Jesus gave himself for everyone, amen? Man, we preach it all the time, man. You'd be hard-pressed to find a preacher that defends the love of God and his character more than I do. Okay, I'm sure there's others that do just like me, but praise God, or maybe even more, but man, that's my mission in life. But also, guess what? I don't just consider the goodness of God. I obey what God says to Paul. Consider the goodness and the severity of God. We have to do that, and I do that because guess what? The fear of the Lord is clean, man. It's, it has a purifying effect on us, and God uses it to help sanctify us so we grow in knowledge and wisdom of Christ, amen? And I noticed something like 10, 15 minutes ago. I thought I'm never going to get beyond the fear of God into loving God and trusting God. So I think this is a three-part series now. <laughs> At least two. But man, let's fear the Lord. Amen? Amen? Can we all please stand up? And guess what? If you fear the Lord, you're going to want to witness to people. You know why? 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Since... Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Amen.